I am Tom Holland, and this is Fitness Disrupted 2.0. I know I bore you guys to death by saying this over and over, but I have the greatest job in the world. I get to do what I love, and I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that my next guest is going to say the same thing. Uh, We share so much in common, uh, and... I'm bringing you the best of the best, only the best authors, only the best coaches, so that you can stop wasting your time. And, you know, these people are going to help you have a better life, live, you know, not only add years to your life, but live better. And if you're a runner, oh my gosh, uh, this this episode is for you. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. Hey, thanks, Tom. And yes, let's just call it a truce that we both have the best job. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I interviewed Gilad. I don't know if you're Gilad. Remember from, uh, you know, he used to do that, or he still does, that fitness show for years from right. Hawaii. And I was like, yep. okay, I thought I had a great job, but but he does it in Hawaii. But you are in Jackson Hole, yes? I am in Jackson Hole, and we are in full-on winter. So, um, yeah, it's, it's probably five degrees right now and two feet of snow, which makes perfect running actually you know it's it's i've never been out there and one of the reasons i give i've been all over the world raced all over the world but like colorado i've never been to and i i keep saying the reason and wyoming places like that where you are uh is because i'll never come back i don't think it's just amazing for guys like you and me who all we want to do is be outside and do what we love exactly and i actually spent 11 years in denver and you know, been all over Colorado. And then once I moved to Jackson Hole, I realized the real deal was was Jackson Hole. And winter running is amazing. And obviously, summertime is world class. So it's, uh, it's the best of all worlds. Yeah, you, you don't have an off season. You don't have a bad season out there, right? I mean, no, well, and, and the good thing about winter is that I, I like to tell people when it's good skiing, it's bad running. And when it's good running, it's bad skiing. So you don't have that choice every day. I've only skied every ice-covered, you know, bump here out. I'm in Connecticut, out in the Northeast. Like, and I've never skied out west. I've never, you know, gone uh, overseas to ski. And, again, I don't think I'll ever come back because it's it's amazing. But I want to start there because you talk about that, how you went from Colorado uh, and made the move in your uh, book, The Cool Impossible. And – what I think we have in common too, Eric, is that so many people think that, you know, you and I and Christopher and all these people maybe came out of the womb running. And you literally say in the open of your book, The Cool Impossible, which was what, 2014? Is that right? Yes. Somewhere around yeah, there? Yep. Um, I'm just going to read you the two paragraphs from the intro. You say, I could tell you that I came out of the womb shod with little baby running shoes set to hit the trail. Or maybe that even uh, in preschool, I had a whistle around my neck, clipboard in hand, and was eager to coach. But both would be, well, fiction, and this story is true. Like most of our journeys, mind zigzags, comes back on itself and takes a few diversions. I actually arrived struggling for breath, my lungs attacked by asthma. My first Christmas was celebrated inside an oxygen tent. As a kid, I spent overnight birthday parties fighting for breath while my friends, full of cake and ice cream, slept easily. At an early age, I was very aware of my body, what it could do and not do, but my parents, my doctors, they never put barriers in front of me forbidding this sport or that exercise. To this day, I thank them because the more I pushed myself, the more my body adapted and grew stronger. I love that, Eric, because so many people, you know, have issues. I had issues myself, not the same issues you had, but I couldn't run at a young age either. And if we had those barriers by, as you say, parents and doctors, we would never get to enjoy what we enjoy. 
Well, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that, you know, I just get chills even having you read that. It, it really shaped me, you know, in so many different ways. And, you know, I think it, you know, kind of just looking back and reflecting, it, it just created the athlete in me. And it also created the coach in me that um, it, it's really all about having awareness and being having asthma as an infant and growing up, it really forced me to be really, really aware of my body right. that I, I think is trumps everything as far as athleticism. I, you know, I, I quote in Born to Run 2, athleticism is awareness. And it just really shaped everything I've experienced from an athletic standpoint. And it, it's it's such a simple concept, I would argue, yet it's not, right? And Christopher and I touched on this. I, we were talking about like yoga and Pilates and how I said, you know, you don't have to love those um, forms of exercise. We should do everything, right, and have balance. But those type of exercise uh, modalities make those neural connections, make us aware of the body, right, in a way that, you know, the average person doesn't understand the importance of that. Right. And I, and I think, you know, not to divert away from running too much, but you look at all the specialization in kids sports these days, it totally gets away from that. And, we could do yeah. hours on that. I, I, I got two hockey Great. player sons and my wife is yeah. the lunatic, Eric, and everyone thinks it's yeah. me. And I go, no. And I've had amazing interviews, Michael Boyle, Mike Boyle, right? Uh, strength and exactly. conditioning coach, you know, who he is. Yeah. And that's all we talk about. And it's like, it's just insane. And so we're so aligned. And by the way, you were a running back. I was a running back. You were better than I was, judging from your book. I was the <laughs> I was the expendable running back, Eric, who was like the tackling dummy for guys who went on to play at like, you know, Boston College and Princeton. So, um, right. you know, but like the athleticism, as you talked about, and like you, when I started running after playing these team sports, I was like, okay, those were good, but I love this. Right, right. Yeah, and that, I mean – switching you know graduating from college and moving to colorado and and getting a taste of the endurance bug it was like okay this even though i'm a fast twitch guy in a previous life this this is really me and it, it completely you know gave me that you know where, where you know you graduate from college and you don't go on to playing professional you you lose part of your identity a little bit sure and I think the most magnificent thing that happened to me was that I experienced endurance sports that allowed me to maybe at first grab, grab a hold of that, continue that identity post college collegiate sport. Sure. But also then realize that it doesn't have to be an identity if that, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. You know, I have friends who are Iron Man people right i i do iron i don't even you know i don't consider myself a cyclist like you know i i ride a bike you know i go for a run i don't even exercise i go for a run and i think that that's problematic as you and i both know we've both coached uh, many people and when your identity gets wrapped up in it especially as you get older and maybe you're not putting out those times that you used to uh, I'm 53 now, and I really couldn't care less, <laughs> right? Uh, which is which is hard. You got to get there, but yeah, the identity thing can be difficult for many people. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, and, and and that's that's freeing once you realize that you don't have to go out for a run or a bike ride or a swim because of anything other than to go do it. 
and that's a really really freeing that can actually relax you and add to add to longevity i so agree Eric and Chris and I talked about this as well. You know, listen, I, I'm sure you were competitive, judging again from my research yeah. on you. And and I did the whole want to qualify for Hawaii Ironman, Boston Marathon, all those things. But then I got an ultra marathon friend, which I would argue every runner who was like me should get <laughs> at some point in their life. Yeah. And I started right. doing them. And we did the, the rim to rim to rim twice over um, COVID. And it was one of several you know really amazing experiences obviously but that was so freeing for the reason you said there was no audience there was no chip there was no one watching it was just for me and that is amazing but i i think that's you know i i did my time in triathlon which got me into coaching um and and bike racing but there, there's something about what you just said with whether it's in it creating an adventure of rim to rim to rim or doing ultras in general, every race is different. And th the time comparison goes out the window. That is again, a kind of a freeing thing. Yeah. Even though you can still be competitive. Cause I, I consider myself still, still competitive, but with, you know, it's a cliche, but within myself and my competitiveness tends to be more focused on the day to day lifestyle than ultimately the, the day of the race that's interesting talk about that more so that's more like the little things right from diet to just uh, the lifestyle itself right it's the end isn't necessarily that time or that goal even though that's part of it um but it's right. the lifestyle right that's so important yeah and in you know while you're racing and you're you're getting those goosebumps before you're crossing the finish line and you're you're dealing with all the, the aspects of what racing brings and the accomplishment of that race really has little to do with maybe what you did that day but it's all the things that you did leading up to that day and, right. and that's that's how i kind of coined the the um my title of the book cool, cool impossible the cool impossible are all the things that you don't think can happen that happen through the day to day. It's not so much the big, the big event. It's all the little things that striving towards those big goals that take place that are actually the cool part. And, and that's Eric, what I say frequently, like all the, the secrets quote unquote to life are on Instagram, all those memes, right. <laughs> that, yeah. you know, it's about the journey that, you know, not the destination. And you go, when you've actually done enough, I would argue, uh, you go, yeah, that's, that's true. But very few people, you know, I interviewed Steve Magness, uh, do hard things and, um, you know, Michael Easter, the comfort crisis, very few people challenge themselves in that way to get to the point where you can truly take, you know, uh, pride in those small things because they're not small things and you truly love the journey as you're saying. Right. Well, and then you fall in love with the process and then you realize it's just a game and you realize it doesn't matter whether you think you can or not. It's, it's just kind of going after it. And that again, completely relaxes you to realize that most times what stops us with any goal is, our human nature need to want to know what's going to happen before it happens. And that's impossible. Right. And we focus so much of wanting to know what's going to happen before we click registration. And again, we're, we're not, we're never going to know. So once we just let that go 
and realize, hey, I just I just want to go for something that I want to do, whether I think I can or not, that opens up a whole new paradigm. Right. It's that self-efficacy, you know, that I love talking about, the situational confidence. And I would argue, and, and you may be there too, you know, I think if you do enough tough things and challenge yourself enough, you get that over-optimistic bias where, like, I don't prepare enough, people would argue, I'm sure, for certain events, even like the rim-to-rim-to-rim. The ultra marathon friend, we started together, Eric. We didn't run together. I, I stayed with him eight seconds, and then he was gone. Uh, <laughs> and I realize I have no sense of direction. There's only two trails, but like given two choices, I will take the wrong one. And one of my yeah. favorite aspects of this was I got to that fork in the road and I was like, oh my gosh, which trail do I take? And I was freaking out, freaking out. And I looked down and there was a stone arrow pointing to the right. And I thought, oh my gosh, my friend is the greatest person ever. Like he left a stone, like, and so I ran to the right. And then all of a sudden I stopped and realized like, what if that wasn't him? <laughs> it turned out it was, right? But but to your yeah. point, like, yeah, it's being in the moment, right? And that's one thing I would argue that doing these type of events and, and challenging yourself teaches you, right? It's, you don't think in the, you're just in the moment itself. And that's really hard to do. And you, you extrapolate that out to life, which becomes amazing. Well, and that's where it becomes that lifestyle thing. And now instead of always looking forward to the weekend, or vacation, you're looking for tomorrow morning's run, right? Or the swim or whatever it is, but it's, it's, it's kind of life slows down that way. And you're looking forward to the next hour versus again, you know, your vacation in six months or getting to the weekend. Right. And I think you and I both, uh, again, looking back at your history, you talk about how you were the uh, former fitness director of the University of Colorado Health Science Center. We got paid the exact same. In your book, you say seven bucks an uh, hour. I, I got seven bucks in orientation back when I was a trainer in New York City. Like, And so, you know, you put in the hard work and then you go, and I think you like me, you know, you, you had the quote unquote real job for a while. And then you go, I want to make this a career. And when you work those hard jobs and then you do what you love, it's amazing, right? It's truly amazing. Well, and it, it, it's kind of those tests, you know, that taking that job was my test of whether this was really a true passion or not. Right. And once I made that decision, the, every, every hurdle broke down and my, there was my path and it just started to happen. And, you know, even when I went, got into coaching, you know, I, I could have thought, Hey, I can't, I can't start coaching until I have 20, 20 athletes, or I can say, Hey, I am a coach right today. All I need is one athlete because then I'm doing it. Right. And that for me was a huge shift of, okay, it doesn't matter the measurement of what it takes to become a coach. It's just a decision. And once I made that decision, Again, the path continued. That arrow, you know, at the bottom of the right. canyon, continued to 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 shine and 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 be there for me. And what I love, um, Christopher McDougall has a video online about his first interaction with you as a coach, and he said that you said to him, you asked him, you said, "What's your goal? If you had one goal, what's the goal?" And I love this because this is, <laughs> I just love it. He said something to the effect of, I'm not going to, you know, have it verbatim, but something to the effect of, you know, I want to be able to go out my door whenever I want uh, for as long as I want and just go for a run. And you're like, okay. And and I would argue, and we talked about, you know, when doctors say, uh, when people go to their doctors and, and say, I can't run. I, when I was a trainer, 
Eric, I would find out why people couldn't run, right? Not that they had to run, but let's figure out why you can't because that's your weak link and let's fix that. And I think that's your philosophy too, especially when you read Born to Run 2. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 you know, when Chris and I first met, I immediately had to find out a way for him to gain confidence within a couple hours that this was even a possible thing that, you know, doctors have told him that he's just a no go as far as running and his experience also, you know, was a validation for he was not a runner. So, you know, even though we had that 50 mile ultra race in the <laughs> Copper Canyon as that kind of starting point for him to have that longer term goal of going out running anywhere, anytime for as long as he wanted, you know, that's still with him today. And, you know, he's 15 years older now and he's a better runner now because of that bigger goal. And it's so important. And that's why I started this podcast reading that quote from you, because you had, uh, you know, your asthma and your issues. I had shin splints. Like I sat on the bench most of my, you know, childhood, soccer, football uh, with massive shin splints. You know, I would argue too much too soon. Coaches knew nothing. Still doing the same thing. Many of them. Uh, you know, it's crazy, Eric. It's my high school coach just won the championship again. He's still coaching. Wow. I'm 53. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he's still doing many of the same things, which is crazy. But if you have 90 kids try out for the team, I would argue you have a better chance of getting away with certain bad uh, practices. But <laughs> to your point, like Christopher McDougall, I want people to grasp that. I think one of the biggest problems with fitness today is reading those articles that say you can't, that it's your genetics, that, that it's all of these barriers. And that's why, again, your quote about thanking your doctors and your parents for never putting those barriers. Like we got to break down those barriers. We're born to run and we're born to move. And uh, so many people have issues that can be fixed. Well, and I, you know, th this is maybe a side tangent, but that whole thing about all the issues that we have around whether we can run or not are completely solvable, but, most times when people go seek out advice, they're focusing on the symptom and not the source. Right. And, you know, that's a huge distinction. And, and granted, you know, give Chris all the kudos because he kept hearing no, 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 but he kept seeking out yes, 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 yes. And right. I, I think that's the true inspiration, or, you know, from Chris, you know, that, that Born to Run, you know, really put out there for thousands of people that now they see someone that had giving them hope that, hey, we can do this. So agree again. And what I said to him, when I looked at your, you know, your exercises, so aligned, right? In that they are simple yet super effective, right? And as I say frequently, it's not like you're standing on a BOSU with one leg and a weight vest swinging a kettlebell. You know, it's not this crazy routine that is sexy and is going to draw attention. But it's like it's the basics that work. But I'm going to give you credit, incredible amount of credit, because to get a client, having coached myself and been a trainer for so many years, to get someone to do those basic things, as you know better than anyone, that's really hard. Super, super, hard, especially in a book when people are looking <laughs> yes. at a picture, it's like balance on your foot. Give me a break. But <laughs> yes. until you try it, you don't realize how difficult it is. And, you know, that points to one of my pillars of philosophy is that keep it as simple as possible, 
but as potent as possible. And, you know, whether you use the word basics or not, most people aren't doing this type of training that everybody should be doing from an athletic and running perspective. And that's it. And and it, again, it's a simple concept. And to use the word basics, it's like a negative, right? right. People perceive right. that as like, well, I don't want to do yeah. that. It's it's And especially when you're paying a lot, right? When you are a trainer, yeah. you start getting paid more and more. And you go, okay, I'm getting paid $150 an hour, $200 an hour. And people are like, wait, you're, you're telling me to balance on one foot. <laughs> like, I, well, and I, I'm yeah. glad you said that because, you know, early on, I caught myself doing that with coaching is like, okay, so now someone's paying you a lot of money. You have to make it elaborate and you have to like justify the, the cost based on the elaborateness of the program. And that can lead down a, a, a really bad path because it, it maybe gets you out of that core philosophy of sticking with simple st sticking with what works from a long longevity standpoint. And again, what I see from thousands of athletes is that this is really what people need need and what's missing um, from just an athletic standpoint and specifically to running. Yeah, you know, I, I did the online coaching as you do for many, many years. And what what Eric's saying here is, when you get to a certain level and you're coaching, listen, type A athletes that actually don't need to be motivated. They actually need to be pulled back. And yep. I think you'd agree, Eric, one of the hardest times to train those type of people, especially when they're paying a decent amount of money, is like January, where you're like, okay, you're going to do bodyweight squats and you're going to do planks. And they're like, no, 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 I want to do speed work. I want to do this. And you're like... No, and it's super challenging to coach those people. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I, I've you know I've done it long enough now. Specifically, you know, speaking of my experiences, I I can really vet that out pretty right. easily just in the interaction we get before we even start. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I totally get it. And and I got to the point. Well, you know. I, I would just say, as you are alluding to, like, you, you probably belong with another coach. And I knew the coaches in the area, at least, that they would go to. And one was a professional triathlete, you don't need to name them, um, that would give them an insane amount of work. And many of these people were like full-time jobs, crazy hours, some Wall Street guys um, right. and women. And I would see their training. I would find out, right? They would do 3X and then they would get hurt and or have a subpar performance based on what they wanted and they would never blame the coach because they don't know. And the coach, you know, oftentimes would, would put the blame on them. So I, my point just again is when I read Born to Run 2, I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, right? This is what people need. And so when they flip the pages of the book, they're gonna go, really? And it's like, no, 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 this is what I call excessive moderation, Eric. You know, don't do uh, a lot a little bit, do a little bit a lot. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. And my, my term is, you know, frequency trumps everything and, and maybe think about doing less more often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you get better at biking by biking, you get better at running by running. And yes, we need form and stuff. Like people would say, you know, come train me to do this. I'd say, let's, let's just put some miles in first. Let's just go out and do what the body's meant to do. Then we can refine it, but we got to literally walk, run before we run. And we got to do that strength training. So talk about like, you know, your philosophy and the exercises uh, within Born to Run 2 and, and just, you know, their simplicity, but effectiveness. Yeah. And I, I think there's, 
you know, it's maybe not apparent in the book itself, but from my perspective, um, I, I see kind of the triad of there's run form, there's strength, and there's actually the run workouts kind of work all together sure. to create, you know, not only proper form, proper strength, but creating a body that has equilibrium built into it. So there's not tug and pull, there's not tightness, but also you're developing neuromuscular strength. You're, you're turning muscles on, you know, again, most people have the strength that's needed to do the job. It's just not being turned on. The neuromuscular pathways are not on and they continue to focus on building more and more strength, but they need to turn the light bulb on. And this is kind of, we, we call this a reboot. And this, this is where the, the program in the book is meant for everybody, whether it's someone who's just starting or, hey, maybe for your listeners, or listeners, this is the veteran runner who maybe has hit a plateau or, you know, and I, I this kind of maybe goes away from some of the the basic foundational philosophies, but many age group runners do not have the built-in raw speed required to maybe match their aspirations as far as they're running. Talk and more so, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So now maybe, Hey, they've, they've done the traditional training and let, let's just, you know, I, I use the word or the, the marathon as an example, just because it's easy math. Sure. You know, if someone's looking to do a, a, a three hour marathon, but they don't have the raw speed that matches that goal. They need to work on their raw speed first. They can't just keep throw be throwing miles at that. They're not going to, the, the, the improvement's going to be too slow. So for example, if, if you want to run a three hour marathon, you know, your, your mile time has to be a sub five thirty. And if you're not there yet, that three hour marathon probably is, is in a distant way distance. So maybe getting away from always doing the foundational or base building miles, you work on a little speed first and then apply it back to the endurance. And right. that's where this program can kind of come in and help the veteran runner. I so agree. And you talk about um, hill repeats and short but sweet. Like one of the greatest things I, I say, it's my favorite workout, right? Just hills, regardless of who you are. I did a podcast, Nine Reasons. Everyone should do hills. Uh, and you talk about that. I watched, I think, a video that you did uh, in the beautiful hills of somewhere where I was angry at you for living where you do. And, and being Outside able to, my door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't make it worse. Exactly. The ability to go out and just run through that. But it, even though what you're describing is like, you know, you got to go fast to go slow even. And it's the opposite. Oftentimes you got to do both, obviously, and build that base of strength that we're talking about. Um, but even when you talk about speed work and hill repeats and things like that, you know, you talk about staying out of that gray zone, making your hard days hard, short uh, interval workouts. And just talk about that. I watched like one of your run um, type hill uh workouts and talk about that it's still not like a hundred repeats of a minute right it's short and sweet and and valuable well, even if even if what if we say a minute's long okay so now we're talking from a neuromuscular standpoint right. doing hill repeats or even sprints of 8 10 15 seconds now what we're doing is really training the body and the muscles to recruit more muscle fibers 
rather than build a bigger muscle fiber that's already there. And that is a huge thing for endurance. So even though it's eight, 10, 15 seconds, that totally completely sounds counterintuitive to endurance training. Now we're training the brain to recruit more muscle fibers and more invite more muscle fibers to the party that helps you become more efficient. So now you're out for your long run and you're using more muscle fibers rather than just trying to operate muscle fibers that you already had that are now bigger. That's inefficient. And I was waiting so, for you to bring up that uh, word. And that's what people don't understand. And, and it's and it's amazing. So efficiency, right? And and that goes to your uh, and my concepts of, of the value of strength training. It's, it's the muscle fiber recruitment you're talking about. And I'll take it back to when, again, I was a trainer and I asked the client, Eric, to, he was just doing bicep curls, like just brand new exerciser. And he's doing dumbbell bicep curls. And I said, squeeze your bicep. And he goes, what does that mean? <laughs> I go, what do you mean? What does that mean? Right? And I was just trying to give him some cues and stuff. He goes, I don't understand what you mean. Because he didn't have those neural connections. He didn't have those connections with his muscles. Right. And, and I'll fast forward to when biking in Central Park, getting into the Ironman days. And, you know, you put in enough miles biking, running. All of a sudden, you feel that change to a certain degree. I remember, like, the day I was biking, I go, wow, I'm putting in less effort and I'm going faster because I'm more efficient. And most people have no concept of, of what that means and how to get there. Grail, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's ultimately what we want to is get faster and work easier. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> right. the holy grail for any, any endurance athlete. And, um, you know, so kind of looking at really all this small little ways that we can build in that efficiency, you know, going to the strength training itself, you know, when have we talked about how important isometric strength is for for running? We always talk maybe about concentric or eccentric, you know, where, you know, the the, the concentric is is the coming up of a squat and the eccentric is the going down. But when we run, there's always a moment in time where we're not going anywhere. And we need to be strong there so we are reducing our ground contact time which is going to add to our performance and our longevity you know so when has your listeners heard how important leg stiffness is leg stiffness is a good thing that helps us stay healthy that helps us get fast and we need to train our body to really have better, better leg stiffness. And that's really the whole umbrella of the strength training in the program is that to create better leg stiffness. We, we understand maybe the importance of cadence, but cadence and leg stiffness go hand in hand. And so talk more about that. Talk more about leg stiffness yeah. and how that's developed. So essentially leg stiffness would be the analogy of taking a brand new rubber band that you're taking out of the package and it's real stretchy and real springy and you you stretch it and it, it shoots forward really quickly versus an old rubber band that you've has in a corner of your drawer that hasn't been used for years and it's crusty and you stretch it and you oh you got to do it slow because it might snap and might break and it's brittle we want fast quick really springy muscles and tendons and that's what leg stiffness is when we land when we run we want to get off of that leg as quickly as possible. And 
that's what good leg stiffness does. So it's a lot of hopping, a lot of jumping training and training that isometric and eccentric action to be able to land well and then get off of it very quickly with a whole lot, not a whole lot of um, ankle and knee flexion. So energy transfer for people, like yeah, how quickly, totally. you're yeah. right? Better force, yeah. How, whatever word you want to apply to it. Yep. Yeah, and, and one of my experiences with that, uh, years ago doing Ironman South Korea and I had a new friend who's triathlete and he said, you want to go out for a shakeout run, you know, the day before the race. I said, sure. He said, I have a couple of friends, Eric, we'll come get you. And so he shows up, you know, uh, male and female, we start running and all of a sudden I'm like, we're, we're flying. And I'm like, this is not a shakeout run for me. And these two, you know, male and female, I didn't know. I soon realized we're, we're pros. They were they both went on to win the race. Uh, right. and, but my point is like their efficiency and their cadence and I felt so just privileged to be running behind them and just watch and the effortlessness because of what you just described, right? The energy transfer, there's the efficiency, it, you're, you're working easier and I, you can almost look at the pros and go, yes, they're working hard, obviously, but they're working better than the, the person who's not efficient. Right. And I, you know, this, this might be again another tangent but a, a lot of athletes think as they get more fit as they get stronger as they've trained more now they're able to run harder or race harder and that's not the fact is that the fact is race the race distance require de demands what the appropriate effort is so as you get more fit as you get stronger as you become more efficient you're just able to become better at the appropriate level of effort. It's not that you're racing harder. Pros don't race harder. They may they may race a little bit harder because they're out there less time. But you, you get the point is that, you know, we're not looking to be able to race harder. We're able to race more efficient and more appropriate based on the level of effort that is appropriate for that distance. So you're saying it still hurts. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it Hopefully doesn't later in the race, right? It doesn't get easier. You just get stronger, right? You just you just yeah, learn. Yeah. But it's an incredible um, progression, and and that's a word that comes up frequently in in your writing and your videos and, and the books. Um, and and we need to progress. I think that's what you and I are trying to, you know, just get forth or put forth here. Um, and it starts with those basics, but I love also, Eric, that you're talking about, there's no one way, you know, that's most books and programs and people today. It's like, this is the only way, right? And you're like, no, you need some eccentric, you need some concentric, you need some isometric, you need some plyometrics, you need to go slow, you need to go fast, you need to do all of these things, right, in the proper order. Yeah, and I think, you know, if, if there's one takeaway to all that is just variety. You know, if, if you're if you're an athlete doesn't like following programs, you know, just look to add as much variety throughout your week as possible. And, you know, I think that's that's where I see the kind of the pitfalls of the veteran, the veteran runner, or the veteran athlete is that they we kind of start gravitating to what we're good at and what we like to do. And those usually are the same thing. Right. <laughs> and and then that's all we do. And it works for a while. But then we lose that variety. We lose that ability to shock the system and shock the body that really is required to continue to improve. And I think that's what's missing as we age and we blame it on age. And, you know, I, I joke, you writing a book, you writing a book on running gets you the most out of shape you've ever been. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> you're, you're doing so much sitting. 
and and so you know hey from all this sitting i've done writing a book you know my glutes have kind of gotten a little tight and you know so i, I just kind of don't feel great and i could blame that on getting older or i could blame it on sitting too much and i choose to blame it on sitting too much and i can get that back but if we start to see and not add continue to add that variety we kind of get in that rut that we begin to blame it on aging and that that i i think there's always a way to get better variation is a term eric that i use probably a hundred times a week yeah. you know in these three episodes and often feel like i'm boring people to death with that but but you just you know reiterated why and another quick example i had a client years ago she was an amazing runner and i would see her you know, a couple times a week at a minimum running and she was super fast. She was like, you know, almost a three hour marathoner and she would always do the same run, nine miles, nine miles every run. And I said, you know what, if we work together, we're going to have to change. You're going to do shorter. Run. We're going to mix it up. And she just wouldn't do it because she had success. Right. And that's what you're saying. Like so many people have success up to a certain point and then they go, there's nothing else. And then they get hurt. Don't get better. Usually both. Um, but when you have that variation and usually it comes from a coach who tells you, forces you to do something that you're probably not going to do, there's so much more there. Yeah. And I, I think the slippery slope there in that, in that example is that what I see, is especially in ultra marathoning, when we start to have success initially, what do we gravitate to do? We say, Oh, that worked. I'm just going to do more of that. Right. And more is not always better. And I, I say better is better, you know, and the continuing to add that variety, continue to focus on getting more efficient um, is, you know, can, you know, that, that's where I, I say, you know, this is all an art form and we can continue to, to improve as, as we get older. And especially with ultra marathoning. Now there's, there's so much room for improvement. You can get better for such a, such a long time. I interviewed um, Michael Wardian a little while back, mm -hmm. right as he was running across the United States. Right. And what I love, and he talk about amazing, right? Literally, as he was running, we're doing the interview. Um, and I follow him on Twitter. I'm not sure if you do social media. Yep. Yep. He's constantly lifting weights. He's constantly doing different things. I was so happy when I first saw that. Uh, and he's as skinny as skinny can be, as you and I both know. Uh, but, you know, so often when I first started to the Ironman, people didn't lift weights. They still don't. They say, does it make you better? Like, holy cow. I can't believe we're still having that, you know, discussion. I understand why. Uh, right. But it is that those variations, the strength training that continues. And, and he's doing it every day, you know, and he's getting yeah. faster, as you say. I, I think he ran the day, the weekend after he ran cross country. I don't know if you saw, he ran like a, I don't know what it was. It was sub way sub 18, 5k or something. So, you know, he's getting faster yeah. <laughs> and he's not young. Yeah. Right. And, that, and that's a great example. I mean, it, there's always a way to, I, I feel to improve and there's just, you know, it, it's, it's taking a lot of it, just maybe not doing what you want to do at first or changing things up. That can be hard for people, but it's, it, you know, if you have the philosophy that the only way the body gets better is by shocking it, you know, when you first start, that's a shock because you, you start doing more than you were ever used to doing. And that's why you improved. Well, we need to keep infusing that as, as we gain more and more experience. 
and that's a concept I talk about frequently too, Eric, is, is you know, the body's such a smart machine. It adapts quickly, right? And that's why you plateau. You talk about that in a video I watched recently. Um, and as simple as, you know, I talk about when you go to the gym, you see the same people doing the same exercise. It's like Groundhog Day. You can go, I know that person is going to go to the chest press machine in two seconds, and they're going to go there, which is fine. And again, you get a certain level of fitness, but to continue to see results, to continue to be as healthy as possible, and I would argue, as I think you would, to continue to enjoy your workouts psychologically, you want to mix it up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and that's that's where I'm excited with Born to Run 2, the, the, the program in there is that, you know, all of this, most of this strength can be done anywhere and more importantly, can be done while you're running, you know, so now you're, you're not having to spend more time, you know, under brick and mortar, um, that might take away from the, the running that you want to do. Um, and, and with that, you know, we really haven't talked about foot strength, you know, that's, that's something nobody's really doing and that's the foundation if, if we're really talking about true strength and shocking the system you know what do we do as runners 100 percent of the things we do is using our feet and we're not training that you know so that's you know if we, we use the word basics or foundation that's the foundation that we all need to start training and talk about that more so what what are people going to find in the book that that speaks to that yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest philosophy is un really understanding how important the big toe is to for stability. Our, our first line of stability is our feet and how we train the feet and how we use the feet directly relate to how well we use other muscles. We often hear how important our glute medius is or our, our glute for stability. Well, that's dictated how well we use our feet. So now we have a way to train our feet and now with a focus on foot strike and run form that becomes strength training so how we use our foot while we strike the ground is a form of strength training as well as specifically training the feet to become stronger which in turn helps that neuromuscular pathways we talked about earlier of turning muscles on we use our arch we engage our arch first and that engages our calf, that's our spring to go forward, which then stabilizes the knee, which then stabilizes the, the glute. So it's this chain reaction that only can take place with how well we use our feet. And this is somewhat of an oversimplification and Chris and I talked about the research too, and I'm constantly, I yep. love the research into shoes and stuff, but you know, back to born to run and the barefoot thing. And there were like people that, you know, maybe maybe started too soon took it too far you know we need to have that that uh, kinesthetic awareness that you're kind of alluding to we need the feedback right from our feet we have to at least start there and when you're wearing shoes that are like maybe super overprotective and you're not getting that feedback that's a problem from the start right and and you know simply you know i we can get into the whole shoe thing but you know i think one bad thing that came out of born to run was just the whole media onslaught of that. This is just a, a one choice. It's go barefoot or go minimal. No, it, maybe that's just a tool. And, you know, it's, it's just like categories in, in nutrition is that now you have minimal, you have maximal and, and it, it, it kind of really defeats the purpose of, using 
a minimal shoe or what I call a natural shoe as a strength tool to help you hone your form, to help you hone your strength. That doesn't have to be an all or nothing choice. I I think that's where it kind of went awry. You know, now it's okay. Yeah. Like you said, everybody's, you know, doing too much too soon. Well, you know, figure out what, how it works best for you as far as the type of running you want to do use a use a natural shoe one once or twice a week right you know and use it use it as you know I, we, we joked about my skiing here in, in jackson hole you know most skiers here in jackson hole have two or three pairs of skis they're choosing based on the conditions or the mountain bikers they're you're using different psi and different tires and tread based on the conditions so if we're in a position that we can have maybe multiple shoes start seeing it that way where that natural shoe selection is a form of strength training exactly the podcast i gave uh, after reading born to run eric was that i said and used a term i said these are all tools right and and unfortunately again in our hyper you know clickbait world of all or nothing as you said you know that's what people want to write about and it's and it's it's unfortunate i have vibrams i have uh minimalist shoes i have trail running shoes as you said if you have the means and i rotate them depending on what i'm doing i'm trying to get my feet stronger as you said um, but i'm not going to do it overnight you know and if you spent 50 years in supportive shoes and orthotics like oh i won't get into that the number of you know people I know who've been prescribed stuff that I would argue they don't need. Um, it, it's not going to happen overnight. And it's a tool. I love that you said that. And you have to, you have to look at it as, as such. Well, and, and through time, what happens as our feet get stronger, they, they want to be in a more and more natural environment. And so see this as a process is that as you get stronger, as you maybe use a more natural shoe more and more, your body and your feet will seek that out and want to be in that environment more and more and more. So through time, you could have a goal of just continuing to try to get into more of a natural environment, which is is very, very potent and very, very powerful from not only longevity, but how you feel. And that's what can't be studied in all the shoe studies. You can't study how people feel it's anecdotal you know yeah you can you can take their and put put down their verbal anecdotal reasons of, of how they feel but that can't from a science standpoint you can't study how someone feels and that's what people are missing from a natural environment is that now we're taking away the tug and pull every step you take is firing your muscles in an appropriate way that's going to eliminate a lot of the tightness that we've been brainwashed to think is par for the course for being an endurance athlete. Yeah, we're all an experiment of one, right? I love that yeah. line. And I'll take it a step further because you and I have both coached. That's what's really challenging about being a coach, right, is we can ask clients how do you feel, right? How does, and we have to. We're constantly asking those type of like, you know, right. uh, probing questions, but we can never get inside the body and we can never know what they feel. And, and I'm sure you're like me after years of working out, you know, we know our bodies really well. 
And it's a, it takes time. And unfortunately, again, as Americans especially, we want it overnight. We want to be wearing those shoes. But you have to learn, and Chris and I talked about this, you know, it's a tough concept about listen to your body, um, but you have to. And it, and it takes time. Yeah, and, and that, that's the overriding message of the whole book is that this this is we're, – we're putting some – kind of concepts out there to put people in a situation where they have to actually feel their body, whether it's nutrition and stripping away some foods, you're going to start to understand why certain foods make you feel a certain way, whether it's learning run form in five minutes and understanding where proper foot strike is, whether it's doing all the, the strength training drills, this, this is all meant to really have the athlete experience what good feels like so then they can mimic that through time it's it's just like swimming right you're you're in the pool and you feel good and bad strokes and when you feel a bad stroke what do you do you try to make it feel like a good one right and you you're you're changing what you're doing while you're swimming and you can feel good and bad and that's what i want people to feel when they're out running so they can adjust something that feels maybe not so right it's the only place I'm going to take issue with you, Eric, is that swimming. I can't do it. <laughs> and, I, and I have no idea. I've run more swim coaches out of the business. I, I wrote in my triathlon book, swimming isn't a sports means to keep from drowning. You know, borrowed that line because, no, I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. And it's one of the, I just bike and run a lot faster. And that's why I have to do Ironmans because yeah. I can't do the short ones. I'm too slow in the pool. Right, but, right, but you're, right, right. <laughs> and I interviewed Doc. But, yeah, but, but there, that, yeah. that's even better because you understand what it's like to be inefficient. Yes. Right. Yes. And, thank you. <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, I'm a poor swimmer too. And that's actually part of what was the genesis of understanding how important efficiency is. When I started triathlon, I, I got in the pool the week after I won the state criterium championships in, in Denver, in, in Colorado. Wow. And so I was fit, right? criteriums are some of the hardest races yeah. you can do yeah right you know and so that next week i decided to get in the pool well i had to go to the pool late at night when i could swim not the length but the width <laughs> because that's all i could do i had to swim the the width of the pool and get down to the other end suck in wind rest for a couple minutes and then do it again here here's this fit dude that can't is not fit enough, but it's really it's not that I'm not fit. I'm just not efficient. You're absolutely so right. We can build that into <laughs> any type of activity. I'll give you my quick story. Doing my first triathlon ever, Ironman, New Zealand, like 1999. Knew nothing. There were almost no books. I was about six weeks out in great shape as, as you were, as you describe. And someone at my local bike shop in New York said, hey, Rock Fry and Paul Huddle, most people won't know who the yep. two of the greatest yep. coaches of all time, are in town for a one-day seminar. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Six weeks out. So we did like VO2 max testing, bike you know, training. Uh, we did some run work in Central Park. And then we went to the pool. And I still have the VHS tape, VHS tape, that's how long ago it was, of they had, <laughs> I had like an old school microphone and you know, a camera that went underwater and they could you know, film you underwater and then speak above water and coach you. And I was the last one to go. First bunch of people, they're like, okay, you know, change your, you know, your uh, reach and, and grab the water, all this kind of coaching. For me, <laughs> I was about as good as you were, I think, at the time. 
to get across one lap was was ridiculously hard. And the only coaching advice, and to this day, I think how great the advice was. There's a big pregnant pause as I'm like flailing to get across a pool. And I think it was Rock Fry said, you know, Tom, um, you're doing Ironman uh, New Zealand in six weeks. Good luck. <laughs> that was it. He knew he couldn't make me any better. He knew he couldn't throw anything out there that wasn't going to make me worse, right, if I thought it. So it's such a great way to kind of wrap this up. And, and what I want to say, though, Eric, is like I don't care if you're not a runner. This book is for everyone who wants to move better. And it's almost, you know, I don't say this about any other book, I think, than this book, because we need to learn how to move and to have those connections. And because these exercises and, and workouts are exactly what you described, like do anywhere, um, they're not going to take away from other, um, you know, uh, athletics that you're doing. This book is for everyone. And I think that's can be hard for listeners to grasp. But I, I like to explain it this way is that when an, one athlete comes to me, you know, I'm customizing a program for them based on what I think they need right. from a, a custom standpoint. But I've, I've been coaching, you know, full time for 24 years and been doing run camps and traveling the world, you know, giving coaches clinics and just I've seen thousands and thousands of athletes and I started to see patterns of what people are doing, what they're not doing, but more importantly, what every athlete needs to do. And those patterns that I started to see that needed to take place are what's built into this program. Is that just what you said, this this can really is meant for everybody because this is really what everybody needs to be doing. And I would I would argue that most people aren't vast majority <laughs> like you know back yeah, to sitting yeah. all day and it's 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 born to move right to oversimplify again it's born to move and and born to make those uh, neural connections well i just you know before we went live or started recording um it's number one on amazon bestseller running and jogging i don't know if you saw that um, oh i i talked with chris yesterday and we were talking about the rich roll effect last week but yes. i did i did I haven't looked at this week yet, so that's good to know. Congrats. You know, jogging yeah. with a soft yeah. J, as they say, right? <laughs> uh, right. What's, uh, what's next for you? What's in the future? Continue, do more support for the book. Yeah, um, I, I think that, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, I think there, there's, we're, we're deciding, you know, what's going to happen in the spring, um, but for me personally, it's more, you know, I'm continuing go going down the path of how can I help, you know, larger groups and, and so I, I think I'm still not able to quite answer your question, whether it's doing more travel camps or maybe figuring out a way to do more virtual I, I wouldn't say coaching, but um, I, I think there's a way to help thousands and thousands of people in, in more of a virtual environment. And that's what I'm intrigued about. And that's kind of what my website's set up to do. And I'm now kind of excited. The book's, the book's out there and I can start maybe kind of Going, kind of going down that path a little bit. So I, I don't have an answer. I no, you did. An and you had this yeah. pretty much the same answer that Chris had. And I would argue, I would probably give the same. We're doing what we love to do. We want to help as many people. You already are going to help thousands and thousands with this book. Um, yeah. So great to speak with you. I want to go for a run <laughs> sometime. Good. Good. Uh, Chris is out in Hawaii too. Isn't that what he said when we 
is, is that where he is? Yeah, he. So they moved there yeah. full time during COVID, and I'm doing this uh, wrong. He, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. in Connecticut. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's there full time now. His his big thing is is doing swim runs. So he's he's swimming out to islands and doing island hopping on foot and swimming home. We we have the greatest job again. Uh, yeah. Jobs. I want to thank you. I want to do this again. If you're uh, open to that in a couple months, check totally. in with you. Um, send people to your website. Where's the best way they can connect with you? Yeah, website is ericorton.com, and it's you know there's just a lot of a lot of info there, and we'll be continuing to be more info there, and and kind of I want to start kind of group interactions so perfect check, definitely check that out um going forward my youtube channel born to run coach is is probably my biggest social channel as far as tr hardcore training content um and then you know all the usual instagram and twitter socials as well i love it i'll put all those links in the uh, write-up as well eric thank you so much look forward to speaking again and huge success with the book it's it's just gonna yeah, i really appreciate yeah. it tom i was excited for this and it was awesome all right have a great day speak soon see ya thanks and everyone that was oh god i love my job <laughs> eric orton you know let me just say this as i wrap this up really quickly uh when I did my dive on him, my research as I do on every interview, uh, you know, I read the books and then look at what they've done and videos and read up. There's, there's not like this crazy amount of stuff. And you know why? Because he's out doing his thing, <laughs> right? And that may sound weird, but it's, he's the real deal. He's more than the real deal. So Eric Orton, want to thank you so much. Born to Run 2 is the book. Bestseller right now. Like, hello perfect gift for everyone you need like that stocking stuffer uh I, i'm so not the salesman other than products i absolutely believe in that are going to make your life better like here we go right born to run to i want to thank christopher mcdougall for the interview now eric uh orton for the interview uh i'm gonna take him i'm going out there i gotta run with him uh Team uh, <laughs> Tom H. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> Tom H. Fit. <sighs> See, I get all worked up. I do, I do. These these are the best of the best, and I, I, I just I feel so fortunate to do what I do for a living because it. I learn. I give that information to my family. I bring that information to you. And as he said, he wants to help people. If you're in this industry long enough, that's what we want. You know, he wasn't pitching his products with a book he's like he's out doing his thing and, and if you actually go to his website as i did you'll see that you know there's a difference there's a difference in the real people the real deals who do it who know what they're talking about and the simplicity yet like ridiculous uh effectiveness of these type of programs all right um thank you for listening tom h fit instagram tom h fit twitter please subscribe follow the channel do anything you can brand new feed reach out with questions comments uh, love to hear from you uh, in the new year. Going to only bring you this level of quality <laughs> of the best of the best. We have limited time. We have limited resources, money. I'm not going to allow you to waste your time or your, uh, or your money on programs and people and products that don't work. So again, Born to Run 2, grab a copy for yourself. Give a bunch as gifts. Uh, Teamholland.com is the website can email me through there fitnessdisrupted.com as well and remember you know 
There are three things we all control. We talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. You know, he had asthma. I had shin splints. Christopher McDougall couldn't run. We're all doing a lot of running now, and you can too. And if you don't want to run, I want you to be healthy enough that you can if you wanted to, because that's where quality of life comes from. All right? Thank you for listening. I am Tom Holland, exercise physiologist, certified sports nutritionist, and lover of everything, health and wellness. Thank you, Eric Orton. Thank you all for listening and believe in yourself.